Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast. I'm David Bernard, and my co-host, as always, is Jacob Eiding. Say hi, Jacob. Hello. <laughs> uh, it's a big commitment, the- as always, David. We'll see. <laughs> We'll As see. <laughs> you're in. You're in it for the long haul, Jacob. <laughs> uh, today on the podcast, we have Jake Moore. Uh, Jake is a founder of Fitness AI, an app that builds personalized weightlifting plans to help people achieve their goals without having to hire a personal trainer. The app was released in early 2019 and quickly grew to over 85,000 a month in recurring revenue. And based in part on that growth, Fitness AI was accepted into the Y Combinator winter, winter 2020 batch and raised a seed round coming out of Demo Day. So, hey, Jake, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm so glad we're here to have this conversation. Jake, when did, you, when did we meet? I think it was, I feel like it was fairly early in my subscription journey. <laughs> I think that, um, the last in-person dub-dub. Okay, that was the first time we met met in person, right? Yeah. So Dub Dub twenty nineteen. I didn't even know you guys had met in person. Yeah, I kind of forgot. David, I, yeah, we went in person more than once, but yeah, uh, it's weird to keep track of who you've actually seen in person and not, especially like mm-hmm. at, at Revenue Cat. Like half the people I haven't met in person still. <laughs> <laughs> Very strange. COVID times. So Jake, give us a, a quick bit of uh, background, um, kind of your, your background as a, as a developer, and then what led you to, to build Fitness AI? It's, I mean, I've heard this story before, but it's really, really pretty interesting. For the listeners. Sure. Um, so I started coding in middle school, right when the iPhone came out. I was fascinated by just being able to build a tool that people could use. So I started coding. It didn't really go, go so well. Objective-C was like <laughs> the lay of the land back then. And then um, I got very into, I was developing on the Corona SDK in Lua. Oh, really? Yeah. No and way. It was always like, like I wanted to like. Corona, not Cordova. Corona. Corona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> I've used that SDK. I've never shipped something. Have you? But I've used it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I yeah. Shipped, so so they, it doesn't come with the UI library. Like you, you can't just right. like, let there be a table view. Wait, you were shipping an app or a game? No, so apps. So I, I rebuilt every single UI element that I wanted. So like you'd have to move. Objective C was so offensive to you that you basically <laughs> rewrote UI in Corona. And I did a lot in game salad. Did you ever use game salad? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I've actually, I was at their offices once. A friend of mine used to be a, a dev evangelist there. So in high school, you're working in Corona building apps. What, what did you did you not have any sorry i'm gonna keep going on this. did you not have anybody to be like jake no jake oh no jake anybody, no. I, I went to an 80 person high school and i was like Oof. the techiest kid in all <laughs> you know like, that's good but, though it's it's good experience you got to wander through the desert sometimes you know definitely. i mean thinking about all that like geometry because like you're an xy pixels like for everything yeah i think it helped with my SAT. Yeah, no kidding. You, yeah, you wrote, you basically had to rewrite UI kit. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, progress from there. We'll Sorry. try and stop interrupting. I'll let it go. So. I'll let it go. <laughs> so, college came around. I went to, uh, to Emory, um, met some cool computer science folks in Robotics Club. That was like my first crew of like engineering friends. 
And then Swift came out and Swift was just amazing. So I, I got really, I got back into it with Swift. What happened after that? So, so I did a lot of engineering work at my dad's company. He's, he's like a wholesale diamond company. So I did like a lot of, I rebuilt the website, did like the internal accounting stuff. Did you also do that in Corona? No, no, that okay. was, we, we back end was in PHP and the front end was just okay. slightly more reasonable. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> and then after that, um, my friend and I co-founded a company called shop turn where we would, this was right out of college. So we would do, it, it was like a reverse postmates. So we, we would, you could schedule a pickup. We'd return your item in person and then you would just get your cash back. Uh, we went through Techstars with that. And then that one failed. And then right as that was failing, we had 50K left in the bank and HQ Trivia came out. You remember HQ? Yeah. So I, just for fun, I, I built a little website that would sort of tell you the answers. So it would, we, we hooked into their web sockets to get every question <laughs> and we would instantly Google it on some server. And then all we would do is count which of the responses showed up most in the little info text in Google below each link. And that was 80% accurate. Wow. So, so that completely exploded. We had like almost a million hits in a month. That's when they were getting a million. That, so they had their 12, they have 12 questions on HQ, right? 12 questions on HQ. If you got, so at that rate, you get about 7% of the time you could win. If you got 80% correct. Well, each question was eighty percent had an eighty percent chance of being. Correct. Yeah, so you compound that twelve times. That's a seven percent win rate. That's pretty insane. We had we had a perfect game, I think, twice. Awesome. And like the first time it happened, there were ten thousand people on the website, and there were ten thousand winners. The payout twenty five cents, and, and then the next day we got. We oh open. right, because if you win, everybody using your website yeah. is gonna win, right? <laughs> <laughs> um. So so that happened, and. The CEO reached out to us. He was very nice about it. Um, and we just took it down. So what we did do, though, is replace it with a, an email form saying, like, stay in the loop about what we work on next. And 150,000 people put that in, put their email in. So out of the, like, 1 to 2 million users, we had 150,000 emails of people who played HQ. Wow. So with 50K in the bank, my co-founder and I decided to launch a competitor. Called Majority Rules, which was a spin on HQ. It was like a, uh, it's sort of like if HQ is to Jeopardy, we were, Majority Rules was to Family Feud. So, so we would ask a question and you'd, you'd have to guess what the most popular response might be. Uh huh. So that went on. We ended up selling that to a friend of ours. Were you doing it live video, just like HQ? Oh, yeah. Format? So I, I did all the tech and I did the, the production. Like we, we'd live stream through with through a RTMP streaming. It was just a horrible yeah, sure. setup. <laughs> and then after that, like green screen every day. And this was in the WeWork conference room. Everyone's like, what the hell are these kids doing? <laughs> and then, um, so we sold that. We worked at that new company for three months. And then my buddy went traveling and I started Fitness AI. But the, the story with Fitness AI starts a while ago because when I was learning Swift, I made an app called LiftLog, which was just a way to keep track of your weightlifting. So just like go to the gym and easily write, write stuff down. So I, I launched that in college and over the course of three, four years, tons of people use that. It's just like completely organic. And then after majority rules, I, I was sitting on this huge data set 
of just weightlifting, you know, like specific weightlifting data points. And in my research, I found that there's almost no publicly available data set that's anywhere near that big. So I thought there might be something cool in terms of like algorithmic exercise prescription. Um, but I mean, I don't have any formal training as a, well, formal experience as a trainer. Uh, but I suppose I've trained more people than most trainers. <laughs> so, so maybe tell, tell us briefly like what Fitness AI, give us, give us your YC one-liner for Fitness AI. Sure. Fitness AI is an app that tells you exactly what to do at the gym and now at home, obviously with COVID. Sure. And yeah, I mean, weightlifting is like a weird, it's a weird piece of like fitness that hasn't really been tackled yet. There's no billion dollar company in the weightlifting space, but the market seems like it's there. Like the market size seem like, seems like it could be there. They're like, they're like 60 million weightlifters in America. And I think of like, if you took all the top weightlifting apps on the app store, I don't think there are more than 300, 400,000 subscribers total. Mm. Wow. You know, a million max. So there's still a relatively low percentage of weightlifters who, who are using an app. So I, I think there's a really big opportunity. It's also a really hard problem to solve because there's so many options in terms of what exercises you do, what weights you choose, what reps you choose. That That's just the prescription. It's very open-ended, right? Like very open-ended, yeah. But at, bike riding or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, it's very structured data that each workout is producing, which lines right. up really nicely to algorithms in ML. When you when you started, did you had you always planned for it to be a subscription app? Is that how you planned to like monitor? Because there's like, you know, especially when you're when you're relying on the the value of a data set and you're like trying to build a user base, and there's there's lots of reasons maybe to not monetize an app early on like that. Did you kind of have from the outset you decided like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this app and I'm gonna charge money for it, and 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 why? Absolutely. So I'm very opinionated in this subject. I think when you're trying to like, if, if you're building an app off of an idea that you have, I think the best indicator of somebody wanting it is if they're willing to pay it, pay for it. Sure. Yeah. A lot of people have this idea of, oh, we'll charge later. But really, if you charge even more upfront, your wheat, like all of your, all of your initial users are using the crappiest version of your product and they're willing to pay for it. <laughs> right. So it's a pretty, it's like a force function to, uh, to iterate and, and solve for those people. And then what you're really solving for is how do I get people to pay for this? And eventually you just get to it. If you were to start free and then monetize later, you're, you're going to have to go through those steps anyway. Yeah. And it's actually going to be kind of messier because the product's going to, you have to layer in the monetization later as opposed to like planning it as part of the product, right? Totally. And people are very much divided. There are people who will pay and there are people who won't pay. And those people who won't pay... My sister is one of them. She'll never pay for an app. She doesn't. She doesn't understand it. She's like, I could just get a free one. I think she'll. I think she'll change her mind at some <laughs> point. I do. I, I mean, maybe not <clears throat> your sister specifically, but I think we're still. There's going to be some S curve with like number of people who will pay for apps, and I think we're probably still in the like uptick part of that curve. Like, I think we still there's. You're right in that there's like huge portion of people who aren't paying software for apps. My dad, the guy, like. I, I showed him a subscription app for NASCAR or something like this. And he was like, he was like, oh, they want $5 a month for this like really cool feature or whatever. He's like, but I, I don't do that in apps. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, do you know what I do? <laughs> but anyway, I convinced him to do it. Loves it. You know? Oh, so it's like, there is like, you can't get people over the hump. There's just like, there's always this natural, I mean, I remember it too. I mean, this little, you know, you were in what, high school when Swift came out and I'll tell you, I was, 
in high school when people were just like happy when e-commerce, you know, when people were just like being comfortable using Amazon and, and stuff. But like, I remember that David, you probably remember this too. Like in the early days of e-commerce, like there was just tons of people who were like, uh, you know, when I, when yeah. I got married, this is TMI or whatever, but like, when I got married, we did, we, in 2005, we did our, um, our, uh, a registry on Amazon and oh boy, like <laughs> what is going on? Get these, get this monorail salesman out of town, right? Like this is some kind of technological hootenanny thing that we, we can't do. And so like, I, I have a feeling that we might be in that stage two right now for software, right? For, for, for personal like consumer SaaS, like we're going to hit this like inflection curve at some point and, and suddenly it's going to get a lot bigger. I feel like maybe it'll be a slow burn, but anyway. But, and, and to your point, I think it's really interesting how, um, and you've talked about before the concept of Veblen goods. I don't know how you even pronounce that. I thought that, um, was, a, I thought that was a typo in the, in the show notes. Veblen? No, 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 no. Tell, tell us about, so, so Jake's done, and we've talked about this before. He's done a lot of pricing experiments and, and what he, like what you were saying earlier about like the people who are willing to pay are willing to pay a lot more than you think. So t- tell us about your kind of like pricing theories around that. Sure. So I don't know if it's Veblen or Veblen, honestly. I've only read about this. Either way, Google thinks it's misspelled. So, <laughs> oh, really? oh, maybe it's with an it's, E-N. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Bad it's, radio. It's a good that de- where demand increases, the classic example is, is art. As art gets more expensive. Yeah. And, and is the theory it's like a perceived value thing? or I think so. So in your pricing experiments, as you continued raising the price, you would actually see increased uh, conversion? Yeah, or or at least enough of a of a maintenance of conversion to to offset the the increase in in price. Well, normally as you increase price, demand goes down. So what you might try is forty dollars a year, increase the price and watch conversion rate go down. So so let's say you went from 40, 40 a year to fifty a year, and conversion rates went down a little bit. You might try thirty five a year or whatever the middle was, um, and then. What happened was instead of doing that, one, one, one experiment, I just decided to go up, even though conversion rates went down. Sorry, not conversion rate. You, you, want, to, you want to look at how much actual revenue you generated. Right, right. And to my surprise, it, like, I, I would increase the price, amount of revenue would go up. I would increase the price again, amount of revenue would go up. All of a sudden, it would start going down as I increased the price. But there was like a, it was like a local maximum where after I raised it above that, revenue started going up even more. Wow. So I think there might, and conversion rates actually went up. That was the craziest part. Conversion rates for the 90 year product. This was pre COVID. Everything changed now. Conversion rates for the 90 year product was actually higher than the 74 99 a year product. I believe. I see. I see. So it's relative conversion rate. So if you had priced it at like 30, that's probably a higher conversion rate than your 90 product. But when you're talking like 60 versus 90, there was actually another yeah. a, inc- a re-increase. And that, that, I mean, that's a good theory that, yeah, you actually did find like a secondary like demand dynamic, right? Where, But it's very, it's, it's very dependent on the, on the category you're in. So fitness sure. is very, it's very aspirational. You're, you're, you're inspiring someone to, to take action and there's a lot of trust. You're telling them that, that this app that someone made is better than that trainer you know and that you've been going to <laughs> years. So like, if it costs more money, you, you could sort of rationalize like, oh, it must be great versus... Right. So, so it's, it's very... 
the amount of times I've been humbled just by trying an experiment or, or like, you, you can't even have like a, a preconceived, like sure, yeah, idea yeah. of how anything can go. And, and all I could do is try to explain it. There's two interesting things there that, that I wanted to kind of touch on. One, it, it is interesting, like in the fitness space where you have a $60 plus a month gym membership, you have $60 an hour training sessions, then 60 bucks a year for an app that makes those experiences better or replaces just one training session with a, with a uh, trainer. It's like you, you do have kind of good price comparison, but, it, but it's still fascinating that, that you could raise the price and just keep raising and raising and raising and continue making more and more. Um, but then secondary, I, I do wonder if like what Jacob was talking about is that we're so early in that S curve that like the people who are willing to pay apps, like you said, are just willing to pay anything. I wonder how that evolves over the next three to five years and oh, how yeah. pricing it's changes totally, as right? subscriptions become more and more common and as consumers get more and more confident spending. I wonder if some of that that price elasticity is going to start shifting lower um, as more and more people start subscribing to apps. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think some of the back pressure on that might be like software quality. And I think that's where we'll see. I mean, this is why I'm so excited about this whole space is like, we just finally have a mechanism where money can get poured into a product and, and just can, and, and, and make it way, way better. Like dumpster, or right. say dumpster, but like, it's like the, <laughs> the, the bottom 20% of app quality on the app store, right? Like, I really think like the best fitness app is a hundred times better, right? right? There's There's a lot of improvement you can make and just like a really good app. And I think there will always be a space for that. And that's why I'm, I think this whole mechanism is great because we actually have a mechanism. We have a way for to like build those up over time, as opposed to like, Oh, you got to get external funding. Cause like, I mean, Jake, correct me. I mean, you've, you've, you've raised money at this point, but like, I think fairly early on, this thing was pretty self-starting, right? Yeah. The first 20 grand I, I completely lost on an ad spend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you gained knowledge. <laughs> yeah, but but I did have um, one of my early. He's like a mentor who ended up giving, cutting a check to me really early on. He had started J Swipe. You guys know J Swipe? It's a um, dating site, right? It's it's like it was like the version of Tinder, right? Yeah. Um, and and he grew that to two three hundred thousand in MRR. Having him by my side w- 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 was really a huge help. Um, and and he went on to start a cup. Well to run a company called uh, the beard club. It's like the antithesis of dollar shave club. <laughs> Complete opposite. So nice. Jacob, you should check them out actually. Uh, wait, did you say the beard club or the beer club? The beard club. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. So like uh, all the stuff we need for those of us who don't shave. Yeah. And, and he spends three, 400 grand at the time was spending three, 400 a month on, on Facebook ads. So wow. I knew that there was, I, I was very aware of the minds, like also Zach, Zachary Schacht was, was in my WeWork. He was spending a ton on, on Facebook ads and purely on an app. I sort of had, I knew Zach could do it and I knew this guy could scale up. So I thought, hell, I could do it. Uh, I, I knew that I would have to stomach a, a bunch of losses. You basically, it's just, you have to throw, it's like throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. You, you keep trying different <laughs> ads until there's one ad where your ROAS is higher than one. And then everything changes. <laughs> and was this the first time you had done any sort of like acquis- paid acquisition at all yeah. on, on any of your projects? Yeah. Uh, wow. And you just like went in strong on, on 20K. Just like. 
Well, I mean, it, it took like a month or two just to, <laughs> to lose all that money. But <laughs> but then I think my next, the next 20K I spent, I was break even. And then shortly after that, I had made back the original 20K. Yeah. It was just like growing 20, 30% every month at least. So timeline wise, when did put, put, put me in what, when did, uh, so when did you first start making some money with fitness AI? Like when did it first become like a real thing? Um, I would say a little over a year ago. Oh, wow. Things happen fast, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. So I'm trying to think about my renewals. My, my first big renewal check big was like, um, I think last month. But also I was doing monthly for the, the first thing I thought was let's just charge like a small monthly fee and see if it could take off organically. And I just mm-hmm. killed that within like a week. There was like no chance that that was happening. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I switched to monthly or annual. The annual was really, I'm convinced you can't make it in the ad world unless you're doing, unless you're on annual plans. If, if you want to bootstrap. Yeah. Cause you need yeah. that. You pay cash flow, right? Yeah. And then the other trick is, Make sure you're spending everything on on a credit card, because Apple pay Apple sort of pays you on a reverse credit card schedule, so they'll pay you at the end of thirty days for the previous thirty days, and if if you spend all your ad money on credit, you can actually get it to line up. Mm. But you have to you have to be careful because, I mean, yeah, I mixed that a bunch of cards. It's debt, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have to be very careful. Wait, did, and then, and then, tell me if this is getting too personal. But did you take out like person, like credit against you personally, or, or or the business? Or like, how did you get access to that kind of credit? I don't know, and I don't even think Amex knows. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you were just uh, using your personal credit cards to float the business. I, I, it was an LLC until then. I, I I switched to a Delaware C when I got into YC. Okay, but but the the credit was in the name. But but you probably had unless you were using Brex or something like this. Usually you have to put up personal guarantees and stuff like this, uh, to get to get like business credit. Well, I think the LLC is sort of in your name. Like I had to definitely report a bunch of stuff about myself. Right. Yeah. It's a pass through. Uh, These are the kind of hacks that that you know. I don't know. I think a lot of bootstrap founders probably stumble into over time. Yeah. But um, but I I think you don't think to do right, and you hear somebody else do it, and you're like, oh okay, like maybe this is like a, a reasonable thing to do. Um, also, the points. I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, hey, let's fast forward a little bit, and I because I, I you know we we're starting to run a little short on time, and I wanted to get into uh, Y Combinator. So, tell me about like I mean, start even with just like applying, like you know. Y Combinator is famously a bit more skewed towards B2B versus B2C. And like, there's just a lot there to, for you to first, you know, even submit an application. And then two, I'm just really curious about the application process, like the kind of questions they asked. And, and then, then from there, we can uh, talk more about the experience. So let me put a point on that and say like, why did you apply? I applied twice. The first time I applied, we had 2000 in MRR. It was really early on. I applied, um, I mean, it was always a dream of mine. Like I always really resonated with everything that they sort of preached. Um, I I was very into the mindset of like, like building things quickly, trying things a hundred times. There's, there's so many people in like the startup world who I was around that, that, that I didn't really think the same as, and people at YC think, you know, seem to resonate think the same way. So I thought, wow, you know, maybe I should try to do that. 
it wasn't really much of a thought. I, I just thought like, okay, like I'll apply. I applied the first time. It didn't go well. And then we had all this growth and Jacob, you actually helped me with my application. Do you remember that? Uh, I did. It, was it the one that failed or the one that worked? <laughs> no, the one that worked. <laughs> oh, sweet. So that's a good data point. Yeah, I do remember. I mean, I, I, yeah, I help try to help some people. Uh, I, I don't, I don't remember. Everyone send, send all your stuff to Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't promise I won't. I used to do more, but, but I, I think the last time I had like 15 applications on the review, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm always like willing to help people get in. It's kind of interesting to see. Well, I always ask about the motivations. Cause like, honestly, Jake, like that was a similar motivation for me. Like, of course, like you're like, well, let's just also look, they have a portfolio of a hundred billion dollars or something. They, they've started a lot of really great companies. Um, but like, honestly, part of it was like, I just want to be with the cool kids. Right. Um, <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Really just strictly vanity. Yeah. I mean, that's a good chunk of it, but I will say that once I got in, I was like, Oh, this is actually like, it, there's a reason it's the cool kids, right? There's a lot of people there have seen more than you. There's like something invaluable about being with the partners at YC, just because they've seen so many failures. Crazy. They've seen way more failures than they've seen successes, right? So, and they and they can kind of steer you away from like, yeah, we've seen that not work out. Like we've seen that not work <laughs> out, right? Um, and so that that sort of like three sixty vision is super valuable. Um, but but yeah, so what do you think? What was the uh, you know? So you got re- it's not uncommon for people to get rejected once and then apply again. So you think it was just like all the growth in between? Yeah. So the first they ask you to input your metrics. They say like, what was your revenue one month ago, two months ago, three months ago. Mm-hmm. And I get an email like a week after submitting a week after the deadline, I got an email from Michael Seibel saying he was wondering if my, if my revenue numbers were, were year to date or not. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not. But what I saw though, was he, the way he responded to me, he was just replying to an email. So what I think happens is all of the applications get forwarded to the partners or, or to one partner. And I think they go through it in their email. And I, on that email, I saw charts. So I think what they do is they probably scan, like they're probably in superhuman, you know, like hitting J. Yeah. Rolling through all these until they see like a chart that looks like something. And then just quickly responding. That That's sort of how I thought it went. So So I definitely think, I mean, they're looking for growth. Like the two things I think that they care about most is market size. Like is the market at or above a billion dollars? A billion dollars meaning like, is there a billion dollars in revenue every year to be garnered from the market essentially? Or a or hundred million and a billion dollar company. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically a billion dollar market would generate in a year. Yeah, a, mm-hmm. a market big enough to support a hundred million dollar a year company. Exactly. Yeah, which could be a billion dollar market. It could be even if, if it's a hundred million dollar market, but you get all of it. It could just be that, right? So right. So I would think a billion is like their minimum, and then the next question they ask is, "Is this the team to do it?" And I, that could be answered in a few ways. One is traction. So if if you have traction, there is no team question. If there's no traction, which I would say 50% of the YC companies each batch don't have traction. Then they're looking at specifically the team. And that's, I think they're placing a bigger bet. Yeah. But like one of the issues I like, everyone told me they hate solo founders and all that stuff. 
I think if you have traction, it doesn't even... Right, I mean, it's a huge de-risk, right? Like, hey, this, this person was able to do it by themselves. Like, that's even, like, a, a bigger sign that they're that they're serious and that they, they can they can conquer this. And so, so one of the things I'm really curious about is, like, in that application process, were there questions not just about kind of your market size, but whether a mobile-first subscription app could capture a large enough part of that market because, you know, it seems like, again, like I was saying earlier, like they're more kind of B2B. So was there is there already an assumption within Y Combinator that a mobile subscription app can be a billion-dollar company? Like they, that hurdle has been jumped. Because if it's been jumped, it's really only been in the last couple of years with with um, um, Facetune and uh, Lightrix and Calm and a few others. So, I mean, it's really just kind of a, a maybe in the last 12 to 18 months that that's less of a question. So was it a, was it a question? Not really. I, it was, it was, a, it was a, they didn't ask too much about the market. They asked mostly about, I think they were trying to see how much of a pulse I had on, like, was I running experience, uh, experiments? Did I have frameworks for those experiments? How well do you know your numbers? I think they, I think they gave me the interview because they thought there was a market there. I, I didn't have to go there and prove that. Yeah. I mean, what did you, was that number you threw out? There's like half a half, how many millions of uh, weightlifters, right? Like 60 million. Yeah. It's not hard to back into a big TAM on, on health and fitness. Right. And that's why there's so many companies. Right. And I think, I think one of, to, to, to your point, David, I think, I think when you think about these, these companies, like you have to imagine that consumer subscriptions are kind of just a foothold for now. They're like a toehold. Like if you look at how calm has, has progressed over time, like I actually, originally I think they started on the web, but like mobile becomes just one channel for them. Right. And then they move out into like all this different brand building and, and, and media properties and stuff like that. So like, I think that I haven't seen that be just like, I haven't seen folks get rejected in the consumer subscription space and just be like, oh, consumer subscriptions are too small, right? Because it's like, they don't, honestly, like YC doesn't have a ton of, dom- they have apps, that they've, they've done plenty of apps in, that are in this space, but they don't have like perfect vision on where that's going to go, right? And saying that they don't think it'll be that big would be probably overstating it. But to be honest, I feel like YC always had its root. It's, I mean, its original roots were in consumer software. It's kind of swung. It kind of was this case where like they were very consumer early. So, so it was, it was like Airbnb, Dropbox, Reddit were like the, 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 the big consumer apps. Then what happened as Airbnb grew, Stripe came in and Stripe, I think built a lot of their early stuff for Airbnb. Or yeah, and like uh, well, there became this like flywheel where being in YC as a B two B company was really powerful because of the network. Well, well, if you're if you're a B two C, I think I think a lot of B two B companies became billion dollars companies because their previous you know YC companies who were B two C they started building solutions for them and they scaled the same way, and then I think it sort of grew to be B two B, and then I mean the the batch is very, it's it's very much like there are a lot of people with there are a lot of people with traction and there are a lot of people with ideas and and those people with ideas, you could usually match them. Like someone's working on, on, on a problem. That's, that's just an idea that a lot of their batch mates would find useful. And if one of them scales, the other one does too. And it's a great way for YC to hedge themselves. I mean, that was a big benefit. We didn't have a ton of customers in our batch, but, um, but since like I've, 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 we picked picked up a lot of really great customers coming through YC and then getting that referral effect, which I think is part of it. I think there's also, and I think it's part of the consumer SaaS movement is like 
there is just more business models available now to like B2B SaaS was so stable and easy to like grow well without like winning. Like even Airbnb got super lucky a few times. Right. Um, but now it's like, well, okay, you just got to get a product that's good enough. Right. And then like you have like a machine that you can iterate on. Right. Which is a state I feel like, I feel like you're in now. So like, what did, um, going through the batch, like what was, uh, like, how did it affect the way you run the business or the way you think about it? Was there like any key insights or like, or, um, or, or aha moments or whatever, like while you were in the batch? There were a few people that I met that were really doing some just crazy work. It was like the most, um, there, there were a lot of people, I would say I learned more from my actual batch mates. Like Mm -hmm. there were a few other people who were doing consumer app stuff and you're just trading notes the whole time and iterating together and improving together not to mention like being put into a, a room with a whole bunch of other highly competitive businessy people right like that doesn't hurt either <laughs> it's a motivator but you know it was actually like the, the people were great it wasn't very like pompous at all like people no were- i mean there's no errors i i haven't found really like and, and there's very little like overlap or competition between companies in most cases it's just so much growth and like i don't know just different areas that 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 wasn't something we encountered either the winter 2020 batch wrapped up before covid so you were you did do everything in person everything except for the week leading up to demo day yeah demo day was canceled not only was it canceled it was slowly taken away from us it was you know first we're going to do this then we're not going to do that and then like we said we were going to do video live video recordings no, we were going to do it live. Then it was going to be live recordings. Then they said, we're just going to do a slide. So at least, at least this year, they, they had a chance to like pitch. I think they learned a lot from yeah. that, uh, from that experience. <laughs> from yeah. your batch. But I ended up, that ended up helping me a lot because when you're like, as big of a, as big as a market as it is, like in, in terms of the whole YC batch, the weightlifting market is it's a pretty small market size compared to what everyone else is working on. It's not so, such a juicy opportunity. And I think invent like what, if you're just looking at, at one slide of every company, it helps if you have a big, uh, a lot of, tr- it, it helps if you have good traction. So, so it really, it really, yeah. in, my, in my favor, I got a lot of interest from investors. A TAM, a TAM number is never graphed, right? It's always the <laughs> traction graph that's, and that it grabs your eye. And then at the bottom, be like, this is a $100 million TAM or something like that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you're right. Like just having, just having, and if you can show, like, if I imagine you kept growth going pretty well, like during the batch, like that's the whole thing. It's like, just like, honestly, like even beyond the batch, like that's the whole game, right? You want to keep going, just like keep investing in your product, keep investing in your go to market and like, just keep like stacking and stacking. And if you can keep doing that, like you're going to grow something really big. Uh, so you, you raised a little bit of money right afterwards. Like what was your decision process for that? Uh, for if I would, if I would raise the money. Yeah. If you were going to raise the money, why? Like, well, cause there's a lot of founders, I think, especially in the folks that we work with that, you know, these businesses can be pretty cash flow efficient. They can be pretty well bootstrapped. So I think a lot of them are kind of like, not sure what they want to do. I mean, obviously I think once you get into YC, that's kind of, you've made your decision, right? Cause YC won't say this. And, and I, I honestly think they don't care too much, but like, once you've taken a safe and like you've raised some money and like you really are kind of setting yourself up for like, I've got to go for a big billion dollar company. There are obviously lots of like ways to, to not end up on that path, but, but for the most part, that's the like optimal outcome. I, I already made that decision before going and getting into YC because I was an LLC before, meaning you get taxed once. So I, like I was going to switch to a C Corp 
to get taxed twice, right? Because the business pays taxes and I have to pay taxes on my income. Right. And, and so I wouldn't have made that change unless I was really just like going for a billion dollar company. Right. You also don't have stock as an LLC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had made that decision and I think it's, it's really hard to bootstrap to a billion, although you can, I guess. I mean, it's just nice. You know what it does? Raising money lets you, it lets you think longer term. Mm-hmm. So, so when you're, when you're putting 90% of your money in the bank into ads every single month, first of all, you're jittery. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just work on product because you know, you have a hundred grand that you're spending three grand a day. It, it's, it's not like a, it's not a good lifestyle for making day-to-day incremental changes on product. And once you have that, like I knew that I knew that I was onto something because people used it. I knew I could advertise for it. What I really needed to do was just take six, seven months off and just work on product and like fix everything, build, build out all the features that people wanted, you know, on day one. And the only way to do that is, is if like you're, you're calm and you're focused and that's what the money did for me. And then COVID hit. <laughs> so not only like now I couldn't spend money on ads. Right. Yeah. When, when COVID hit, all the gyms closed. Nobody was subscribing. Interesting. So it didn't hurt you. Like people weren't, people weren't taking it home. I guess they don't have weight equipment, right? Our differentiating factor was, listen, if you're going to the gym, this is the perfect uh, app for you. We're not like everything. We're not, we're not going to give you live classes. This is just for gym people. And when COVID hit, you know, revenue was down 80%. Wow. Again, these are mostly annual subscriptions. So the, those are basically just all organic. Like I just shut off ads after March and we've been slowly growing back up. So we're back up to, I think we're just 20% below pre COVID right now. Wow. Though that's a big, I mean, that's just a big tackle. Right. And that, yeah. that I mean, now, I mean, I don't know, you tell me, but like you probably happy you raise money now. Right? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Cause you probably be, I mean, you, good chance you'd be dead otherwise. Right. Like, and that's not, not physically dead, but, yeah. but, uh, but that's, that's the other advantage of the money. I mean, cause you're, you're essentially when you raise money, you're saying like, okay, I'm going to sell my company. I'm going to sell 7%, 10%, whatever for cash that doesn't go to you personally. It hits your bank account. It hits the company's bank account. Right. And, and what you get in return is like the opportunity to a turn that, make your company more stable, make it bigger. Right. I think those, what you explained, especially at your stage, Jake, like that's the right thinking at a seed stage is like, I just need some money to like, let me think about this without being hand to mouth, like every month. Right. Um, and then secondly, which you also experienced the benefit of is you were able to survive an oh shit moment. Right. Sorry. Can we cuss on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Like you were able to like weather a storm and you'll, you'll make it out the other side because you had a little bit of buffer. Right. Um, and so I think when I raised, when we raised money for revenue cat, like I didn't really understand all the dynamics of it. Like I, for kind of the same reason I got into YC, it was kind of like just what you did. And then it was like, after I raised the money, I was like, this is what I did, right? Like (laughs) this is, this is what this means now. And like, um, you know, I don't think it's good or bad. I think every situation is very different. Yeah. I think it's, it's good to share some of these stories, Jay, because like not that many people have done it. And a lot of people think about it and a lot of people wander into bad situations <laughs> because they don't know like what it's actually for. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. My pleasure. 
Well, that's actually a great uh, time to wrap up. Um, great positive note to end the podcast on. Last couple of uh, podcasts, we didn't end up on quite such a cheery. Fitness AI note. didn't die. That's the. <laughs> and it's thriving. And we have a whole new version coming out in, in two weeks, which optimizes your at home workouts as well. I mean, nice. yeah, think about it. Like, it's almost a perfect time. Like, you just, you had the money. And then like suddenly like you don't have to deal with customers, right? Like I love customers, but they like, they're, they take effort. Like you have to work with, you have to do support. Like you have to, you know, stuff. So sometimes, you know, it's easier to iterate when, when you have like less like inbound, right? So yeah, it's a double benefit. There was definitely a, uh, a silver lining. Yeah. As we wrap up, tell us more about um, kind of where you're headed with Fitness AI and then, um, you know, where we can find you or any other projects you want to, uh, to mention. Sure. So when COVID started, we, I, I basically wanted to, to build the best possible app that, uh, you know, to help people get stronger, to help people stay in shape, regardless of if gyms were open. So we just widened our offering to let people input what equipment they have. Um, what their goals are and everything sort of works magically. You can say, I have a 20 pound dumbbell, a towel and a textbook, make me a workout. <laughs> That's awesome. And we'll build something. And not only will we build it, we'll, we'll make it incrementally harder at the perfect rate for hundreds of exercises, no matter who you are. Uh, so it's really, a, it, this whole thing has helped us take a step in the right direction. And That's fantastic. you can find me and follow both me and fitness AI on Twitter. All right, Jake, it was fantastic having you on the show. And, uh, and as we talked before in the, in the pre-show that nobody listened to, uh, we'd love to have you back on and talk, go, go into more depth about uh, scaling ad spend and, uh, and kind of it'd, it'd be fun to touch base again in six months and see where you are in your journey as well. So it's, it's great having you and I hope to hear from you again soon. Would love to. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. To make sure you never miss an episode, Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.